Watson joined by Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In 1965, future U.S. Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, Democrat of New York, then an assistant secretary of labor in the uh, Lyndon Johnson administration, issued a report expressing alarm at rising rates of unwed childbearing, especially among black Americans. In the intervening nearly six decades, the situation among black Americans and white Americans alike has only gotten worse. And the left progressive movement that has risen in influence has challenged the very idea that marriage and family formation, at least on historical American lines, is even a good thing. Joining us to discuss this trend and its effects on American society is Delano Squires, a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Richard and Helen DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family. Uh, Delano, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and work for the Heritage Foundation? Sure. Well, well, thank you for having me. And it's, it's Delano, like Milano cookies. Delano. That's what I tell so, people Sorry to, sorry. to get them hungry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm it's not Delano, like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> right. Um, so, so yes, I'm a research fellow um, at the, in the DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family at Heritage Foundation. Um, I'm also a contributor at Blaze Media, um, where I write about issues around marriage and family, fatherhood, culture, politics. Uh, and prior to that, I worked close to 15 years in local government in Washington, D.C., in a range of sort of community-facing, public-facing positions, primarily connecting low-income residents with access to technology. Um, and in my last year in D.C. government, I worked in the Office of Gun Violence Prevention, uh, so working with um, residents who had serious concerns about uh, acts of violence in their neighborhood. So a very sort of interesting path to get to, to heritage, but I've been writing about, uh, writing about these issues around uh, family and family formation for over a decade. Uh, first with a website called Black and Married with Kids. Um, and then I wrote for The Root and The Griot, as well as The Federalists and The Blaze. So I've sort of run the gamut in terms of the political spectrum and I'm happy to be here with you all today to, to talk about such an important issue. So just to set the backdrop for our listeners, what, over the past six decades, since the, the Moynihan Report came out, what has happened to family structure in the U.S.? Well, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, that family structure has crumbled in, in many parts of the country. Um, just for context, Today, the non-marital birth rate in America is about 40% um, across the board. Um, for Asian Americans, it's about 12%. For white Americans, it's about 28%. For Hispanic Americans, it's about 52%. And for Black Americans, it's been at or around 70% for, for quite some time. So um, the only no one is doing family formation particularly well. Um, and 25% and out of wedlock birth rate was considered calls for a national emergency in 1965. Um, but now in the United States, you know, we have the highest rate of children living with a single parent in, in the world. It's close to a quarter. So families um, are not being formed in the ways in which they used to. Marriage is no longer considered valuable, desirable, 
accessible or indispensable when it comes to family family uh, family formation. And I think as a result, uh, people no longer feel the need to put marriage before carriage when it comes to forming a family. Um, and I think you see the outcomes and the results of that all across sort of the, the culture. I guess, why, like, why has, you know, if it was recognized as such a big problem, at least by Moynihan 60 years ago, why has it gotten so much worse mm. in, the, in the intervening time? <clears throat> I think there's a range of factors, right? Because any social phenomenon, particularly one like this, is complex. It's not just one thread you can pull on to, to, to reconstitute the sweater. Uh, I would say it's a combination of government policy. So everybody talks about the expansion of the welfare state in the 1960s. Um, I think that's a big issue. There are economic changes, sort of macroeconomic changes. People talk about, you know, manufacturing leaving the cities and so on and so forth. I think that that's a big issue. The changes in culture and social norms, right? So sexual revolution um, was just that. Right. It revolutionized the ways that in which men and women related to one another, what, what was considered normative um, and beliefs and values around sex and sexuality. Uh, and then I think, you know, decades of cultural programming that, you know, sort of minimizes the role, particularly of fathers in the home. Right. Where a father goes from being sort of this strong fountain of wisdom to bumbling and incompetent. Um, and even programming that, that shows, you know, single mothers um, in, a, in a sort of an empowering position or alternative family formation or alternative lifestyles, all of those things, I think, help contribute to where we are today. But the thing about culture is that there may be many things that form that snowball. But once it starts to move um, under its own momentum, each of those things no longer has to contribute in the same way it did, let's say, 40, right, right. 50, that, 60 that, years that ago. Its own, its, own gravi- its own gravity is dragging. Correct. Correct. And, and, and now what, what's happening, and I would argue that to change that, we need uh, energy and force in the opposite direction. Because an, an object, and I studied engineering as an undergrad, <laughs> and I still remember a few things, but an object that's at rest tends to stay at rest, right? And I think... We have come to rest in this notion that marriage is no longer necessary when it comes to forming a family. Before, you know, having a child out of wedlock either was met with a shotgun marriage or some type of social stigma. But now, and this is not just among the low income and the working class, there are, you know, middle class folks. They're multi million dollar athletes. You can't you can't get you can't get to the rates of of uh non-marital childbearing that you discussed without it being a problem for everybody. Correct. 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 So it's one of those things where now it's, it, it's a cultural norm and no longer carries a sense of stigma. And anytime you lower the social penalties for any particular behavior, you're guaranteed to get more of it. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why we are where we are today. Um, and I think as it took several generations for us to get to this point, it will take several generations for us to get us out of this point. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Delano, for coming on. I really appreciate you joining us. And as much as I want to ask you about working in D.C. government, because I lived there for 15 years, I'm not going to ask you about that. Um, but okay. I am. Yeah, I am curious about a few things. 
Um, first of all, I love uh, your, the piece that you wrote that actually want, led me to want to ask you to come on, uh, which was called, it was at Heritage and it's called Black Wives Matter, that we need sort of a Black mm-hmm. Wives Matter movement. Um, I thought that was so cool. And it kind of, it, it, that that kind of plays a role or plays a part in the question that I have. You mentioned the, the mm-hmm. things that the sort of perfect storm of things that have gotten us here, government policies, economic changes, things like that. I think there's also an ideological push here. Um, and we see it, you know, it, we saw it in the Black Lives Matter movement where there were some overt proclamations about destroying the nuclear family. At the, at the, at the risk of jumping, jumping in on you, yeah. Sarah, in the free press today, uh, Barry Weiss's outlet, there was a story on a school in Brooklyn that was uh, uh, putting out as part of its curriculum the Black Lives Matter at school Mm-hmm. Book. And one of the one of the whatever 13 demands is to is the uh, dismantling the nuclear family. Right. And so I thought so that's so that's still that's still sure. Online. And so I thought that the countering your countering of that with the Black Lives Matter, Black Wives with a W um, was so cool. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's such a great way to try to get this started, get these changes started. So you mentioned that. <clears throat> it's going to take several generations to get out of it because it took several generations to get here. Um, how optimistic are you that, you know, one of the stories that came through uh, my email that actually led me to ask you, asking you to come on as well is this notion that Gen Zers are adopting, um, you know, social media and it's making them depressed with those realities. Mm. How likely are they to start embracing these changes that you're talking about? It, it's going to be difficult. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful, but not optimistic, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, and, and my hope is rooted in, 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 in my faith that things will get better. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's certainly not going to happen in one election cycle or a few years. Um, so, yeah, but, and, I, and I'm glad you sort of framed the, the Black Lives Matter piece. So and, cool. And Michael, you talked Love about it. the, yeah, thank you, the, the school in Brooklyn, because I wrote, and this is before I came to Heritage, before any of that, um, I wanted to, I pitched a piece to the American Conservative in 2019 about Black Black Lives Matter in School Week, because I saw there's there's an organization called DC Educators for Social Justice. Um, Not only do they have curricular resources aligned with BLM's 13 guiding principles for kids as young as three, and for BLM's trans-affirming principles, that resource for uh, starting at pre-K includes um, kids watching a video from Jazz Jennings, star of the show I Am Jazz, which is on, on cable. And it says afterwards, the kids will be able to define the terms transgender and non-binary. This is for kids as young as three. But um, DC Educators for Social Justice is actually one of the few places where you can see all 13 of BLM's guiding principles in their full and original form. And the principle entitled Black Villages starts with, we are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. And when the most well-funded, popular, um, quote unquote, racial justice movement of the last 50 years 
is is specifically committed to dismantling the nuclear family, that's something that everyone should have been asking. Well, why is that? Whatever issues you think exist in a black community, too many intact families is not one of them. So why would this organization want to push if, that? If I may ask, if, mm-hmm. if I may ask that question of uh, to to based on your study observation mm-hmm. and you know reading about it. Why do you think they, why do you think they want? I'm going to use the word targeted. Why were, especially black Mm. women, it looks like based on the Moynihan numbers and then the numbers 50 years later, particularly related to marriage. It looks like black women, the, the largest discrepancy between, you know, then and now seems to be when black women getting married and it, it starts to look Mm. like they were targeted. Yeah. So, so. This is this is a great question. Let me answer the BLM part of it first because it's much more obvious. Um, if somebody were to read my writing and they were to hear me say on a podcast that I'm a Christian and they were to read me saying, I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime, they should infer that my position on marriage is tied to my um, expressed biblical worldview. That being said, when a Marxist, a self-professed Marxist says that they want to disrupt the nuclear family structure, a good idea for any person who's even somewhat curious, including journalists, is to say, okay, well, what on what assumptions does, does this person's worldview rest? And when Karl Marx wrote um, in the Communist Manifesto about abolishing the family, Right, because of the role that the family plays in informing the child, um, in terms of families passing on, you know, wealth from one generation to the next, um, the family was seen as an impediment to a Marxist revolution, to full fidelity to the state. So, I, the easy answer is this is what they believe about the family because they they are Marxists, self-professed Marxists. Um, now, so, is, so, that, so it's just to so it's just to replace the the family as the provider rival to the as the core rival to the state with correct. the state. C- correct, and and when you um, not only when you read that that black villages principle, but even their principle on black families, at no point do they use the words man, father, husband, marriage. It's all about women and their children. Um, so they paint a picture of a village, a quote unquote village that doesn't have any men in it. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, if some number of these women are struggling financially, someone is going to have to step up and support them. And for them, and particularly for the, the BLM minded people, um, that someone is is the government, whether state, local or federal. Uh, so so I think a big part of it is just it's just a fundamental difference in worldview. And to your point, Sarah, or to your question. Um, it's going to be hard to get younger generations out of that mindset because so many have been bathed and marinated in this way of thinking their entire life. So when schools are introducing BLM's principles in elementary school in Brooklyn, and I, I grew up in New York, I went to you know five different schools between K through 12. Um, th- this is going to have an effect because as the scriptures say, a, a teacher, a student is not above his is his um, a disciple is not above his teacher, and when he's fully trained, he will be like his teacher. So, when when a school has fourteen thousand you know teaching hours with your child, and you barely get 
an hour and a half before school and an hour and a half after school, um, parents are at a, at, a, at a supreme strategic disadvantage when it comes to discipling their children. Yeah. And I also think it's important to talk about how, you know, we've talked a lot about the black community, but what you've written is that this is actually something that's becoming just the norm in every community, uh, lack of mm-hmm. people not getting married, things like that. And, and that's why I think these studies about Gen Z, um, this isn't, uh, this isn't a demographic problem. This is a youth, mm. a generational problem. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I do think a big part of it is youth. but the thing is the, the one of the things about culture that I find so fascinating is that it has an impact on, on everyone, sort of young and old, right? So when I see, for instance, a, a, a member of Congress, a Republican member of Congress, going to a prayer breakfast in a solidly red state and making jokes about, you know, uh, having sex with her fiance before coming to the breakfast, that, that's a reflection of where we are as a culture. Then she breaks up with said fiance, and then they're they are trying to figure out how to divide assets in a home that they own together. Again, typically in generations past, um, a couple would live together at the same time where they get married. So that that's when um, you know cohabitation occurred is at the point of marriage. Now what you find is that couples will move in after three or four months together of dating. And then some will go on to purchase homes together, even though they're not married. And then some others will go on to have children. So they are replicating the timeline, right, that that we've known from past generations, but missing one of the key ingredients. And that's not just um, sort of restricted to the youth, even though it's more prevalent because these are the only norms that they know. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that when cultural norms change, there is an effect even on older generations who now say, well, you know, the stigma uh, attached to this is much lower. Why don't I try my hand? You know, why? We don't need to get married. We'll get married sometime down the line. Let's purchase our home now and build a family together. Well, and 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 you see this, you know, we've seen in the elite media, New Yorker, uh, the Atlantic, hmm. New York Times. I think, I think it was New York Times. Uh, you know, this whole, oh, let's go on a, you know, polyamory kick. Correct. Yeah. Know, like, I, I, again, I ask the question, why? <laughs> why are they? Why have this? we gotten so coarse? Why has our culture become so coarsened that, you know, it, it, the the sort of uh, traditional media outlets are talking about, yeah, idea. polyamorates. <laughs> and the other question is, have we gotten so coarse? Can you put, can you close that Pandora's box? And if you can't, mm. then what do you do to try to reverse course? Which is one of the things I liked about what you wrote. You're like, it's going to take some time, but we start here and we move forward and here are some ideas. Um, I think that stops people. People are worried that it's going to be hard and it stops them from, you know, I think parents are like, well, my kid's on TikTok because every kid's on TikTok. Right, right, right. Yeah, it, it it is going to be difficult, and I and I saw that. I mean, just in the month of January alone, I believe between and I was only looking at New York Magazine and the Post had one article. Um, it was at least four or five pieces on polyamory, all in a very positive and affirming light. And and I think part of it is just um, to your point, like this further degeneration of of the culture. I think a big part of this is that 
is the loss of religion among Americans. All right. John Adams is famous for saying that our system of government is for a moral and religious people and that is wholly unfit for any other. But what we never really had to consider in the way that we do today is what type of what system of government and what kind of culture do you get with an immoral and irreligious people? Um, and I think for decades, people, we obviously America has a culture of freedom and liberty, but liberty does not mean no boundaries. And I think one of the things that the left does is they sell the message that any any boundary, whether it's the boundaries inherent in a marriage vow, whether it's boundaries on who can read to children in a public library or a public school, is seen as oppressive and restrictive by the left. Um, but when you have no boundaries, think of driving, you know, in, in a mountain range where there's no guardrail. I mean, yes, you have free reign, but but you also are much more likely to to spin off the road to your demise. So, this, so gets, this gets into this gets into. Uh, I know Brad Wilcox uh, mm-hmm. has talked about this uh, that these, especially left wing elites, the sort of people who write for places like the Atlantic and the New York Times and the New Yorker, you know, they're not preaching what they practice because Correct. most of them aren't in. Um, elaborate alternative family structures most mm-hmm. of them you know if they have children are are married or at least were married correct uh, and but why you know why won't they talk about what helped them succeed yeah and i i saw um professor wilcox uh, last week i was there for his book launch at aei and um he's right I mean, he talks about as you mentioned people who don't preach what they practice, or as he puts it, they, they live right, but talk left. Uh, I think a big part of it from the left is that they do not want to be, to give the appearance of judging people, of making moral judgments on people's personal choices. Um, now, the thing is, and this is an unrelated topic, but it's, it, 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 there's, some, there's, a, there's a connection here. That may have been passable up until 2020, 2021, because after COVID-19 hit, every Democrat, mayor, governor, elected official was very comfortable making, couching um, the decision to either take or not take certain types of medication in explicitly moral terms. It wasn't just take, you know, wear your mask and take take the shot um, because we think it'll help with with your long-term health, it's do this or you're a bad person who's going to kill both your child and your grandmother. And what I would say is that the pandemic of broken families is far more harmful for the average American um, than, than COVID-19 was. So yeah, they, they, they don't, they don't want to appear to judge people, but they pick and choose when they want to deploy those types of moral judgments. It's another challenge for people who are like, maybe things have gotten a little bit off the rails. (laughs) So when people Mm -hmm. that are very well positioned in society, you know, say one thing, do another, it, 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 it it increases the challenge. And I'm not trying to be negative. I tend to be an optimist, but this one, I do wonder how we get back from the coarsening uh, of the, of this, of society. I think we can, but it's Mm going to be a challenge. Yeah, it's and as I said, it's. Um, I'll say this: 
the good thing is that we've had examples of um, changing hearts and minds across the country and the culture for the better. Um, as as long and ugly at times and brutal at times uh, as America's history on race has been, the change in perception and perspective and views and values and relationships, particularly between white Americans and black Americans over even just the last 50, 60 years is tremendous. I mean, there, there's certain, th- we, we've changed so much um, that, you know, the, the worst thing that you could say to a white liberal is that they're racist. And for a country that, um, again, has had histories of racism, right, and slavery and segregation and all those things, and who hates, and who that's hated communism and, and centralized, you know, gov- uh, centralized economics and so on and so forth for a long time, the fact that an explicitly Marxist organization was celebrated from the halls of Congress to corporate America should tell you just how much we have moved away from our past when it comes to race and racism. So I only bring that up to say is that you can change people's hearts and minds. Now, what's difficult to do is to go from high to low back to high again, right? That, that is a much more difficult change. It's not to say that it's impossible, um, but we have left sort of the, the type of normative family formation um, that was you know, commonplace and have, we are now sort of in, in, in that valley period. And I think we can get back to the mountaintop. Uh, it's just going to take some time. So, so for instance, in 1940, I believe, and well into, I think into the sixties, um, 74% of American households in 1940 were married couple households. Today it's 46%. So over the last 80 years, you know, family structure has changed significantly. There are more non-family households. There's more cohabitation, right? Obviously, divorce means there are more single divorce, and you know, the phenomenon of people who have never been married means there are more single parents raising children. Um, again, these things can change, but it's going to take work. And the first step is to be able to to speak about these things honestly, to to borrow less phrase, to raise awareness of these issues. Um, and then from there, we can start talking about potential solutions. Well, uh, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to promote to our listeners? Um, I, I mean, I think that's, you know, this has been a tremendous, you know, conversation. And I think, um, you know, you mentioned Brad Wilcox. He has a new book out called Get Married. Uh, Brad is a friend. And I think his book is going to be really, really good. Um, and I think, you know, I continue to write about these issues. The Heritage Foundation, we have a large report coming out on um, family formation, on ways to raise the married fertility rate, which is a big thing because we don't want to be like some countries where we just talk about fertility absent marriage. Right? I think one of the biggest problems that we have in our culture is that um, family policy, both on the left and even on the right, still takes a disembodied form where it's about aid to mothers and children and fathers never show up in the picture. Uh, so, so I think, you know, some of the reports that are coming out uh, are going to do a better job of bringing that uh, more embodied feel to family formation. And uh, people can certainly follow my work. I tend to post most of my op-eds and columns on, on Twitter or X as they call it now. Um, so it's at 
Delano, D-E-L-A-N-O, Squires, S-Q-U-I-R-E-S. All right. Well, thanks again to Delano Squires of the Heritage Foundation for joining us. We will include a link to some of his writings on family formation and family policy in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.